We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first two verses today, where we're going through this book written by the Apostle Paul to this church that he had been with for a few weeks to maybe a couple of months before he had to leave as his life was threatened. And he says in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So, so finally is a statement pointing to an application section in First Thessalonians. There's really been a lot of application already, but he's getting ready to talk about about sexual purity, about loving the brothers, about respecting people in the church, about understanding the second coming of the Lord, making application to what he has previously said. But, but, but before that, in these two sentences, he lays down an authority grid or an epistemological grid regarding where he has been and where he is going. But he says, you know, this instruction that I'm giving you comes through and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am his apostle. We have instructed you how to live in order to live a life that is pleasing to God as you are now living. And we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And this authority comes, he says, from Christ. And he's been saying that throughout the epistle. For example, in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, he says... For you know, brothers, loved by, the, by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So he says, you know, our, our, our words, our gospel came to you with power, with the Holy Spirit. A statement about the authority of, of what he's saying. And then he says later in, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, he says, you, you understand this. He says, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. It's a sacred trust. And then in verse 13, he brings it home with finality. He says this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. And then he says this passage, we speak with the authority of Jesus Christ. So he says, this, what, we, what we've been speaking to you is binding, authoritative. It is the word of God. And we instructed you in how to live so that you can be pleasing to God. And we urge you to do so now more and more. And then in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, if you reject this instruction, you do not reject Man, but you reject God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I mean, these are strong words. And so when we think about being pleasing to God, I'm going to make three statements and make a couple of applications. The first is this. We, we, we please God by following the apostolic instruction. We, we please God, according to this passage, by, by following the, the apostolic instruction. And, and the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and it makes it, he makes it real and vibrant in our lives. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 
no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Now listen, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of the man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And we receive not the spirit of the world but the spirit that is from God, that we might understand the things given us by God. So what he says here is that the Holy Spirit searches out the deep things of God in the Scripture, and then he brings it to fruition in our thinking and in our mind. He is the bridge that crosses the chasm between our finite thinking and the infinite mind of the triune God as he takes the Word of God and makes it alive in our understanding. The Holy Spirit does this. And so, for example... In chapter 1, verse 18, same book, 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. The former persecutor, the former man who gave thumbs up to the death of Stephen, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who believe it is the saving power of God. It's foolishness. And, and then, he, then he talks about, he says this. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, so the, the Holy Spirit took the word of God. And, and took that which at one time was foolishness to us and made it the power of God to salvation. I was thinking about this. Can, can, some of you can. Can you remember a time when you mocked the cross and, and you said, I, big deal, doesn't make sense, I, I don't get it, or, or you, you belittled Christ? Or, and, then, and, then, and then God started working in your heart and... and some of us can't name the day, we name the general time, but, but the cross and the reality of Jesus became beautiful in our sight. And, and that which at one time was, was, Paul says, it was just foolishness to him, became for us the power of God. He, Jesus became our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Glorious. And the instruction, the apostolic instruction became alive. Do you remember, some of you can, do you remember when you used to use the name of Jesus as a curse word to fill in the blank as you spoke? And then, by God's grace, that name became the Alpha and the Omega, the strong tower of your life. That name became the great line of Judah, the bright and morning star. That name became the way, the truth, and the life. That name was Emmanuel, God with us, our wise counselor. Now, I'll tell you today, that I, I, can, I can hear people curse, and, and if, as long, if they, they can do whatever they say, and it, I'm, I kind of go, you know, I wish you wouldn't say that, but, but, my, but, but, but when they use 
the name of my Savior, my Lord, as a curse word. It's like somebody taking a, an ice pick and hitting me in the heart. Because that name is precious. That name is glorious. That, that which was once the foolishness is now the power of God. That name has become, for me, my wisdom, my holiness, my sanctification, my redemption. And therefore, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if, if we are to honor God, we are to follow the apostolic instruction by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says here, you, we instructed you how to live in order to be pleasing to God as, in fact, you are living. He says, you, you, we instructed you how to live, and you're doing it. And what he's saying is that right belief leads to right practice, or orthodoxy leads to orthopraxis. We, we told you how to live, and you're doing it. You're just doing it. And, and really, the book of First Thessalonians, parts of it, are about just how to live. In light of who Christ is, this is how you live. It's not just saying things, it's just doing it. Now think of the book of James where James just very succinctly says, you know, be doers of the word. Just be doers, just right belief leads to right practice. Be doers of the word. Don't just, don't just exist. He said, he said don't be like the man who, who gets up in the morning and looks in a mirror and does nothing to the mess he sees. Doesn't come his hair, doesn't shave, doesn't do anything. Says, you look at the, into the perfect law that gives liberty, and then you respond. And then he, he gives this statement. It's just two, two, two verses. He says this. that He talks about how to do the word. He says, number one, if anyone considers himself righteous and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. So how do you do the word? You watch your language. You watch your speech. Number two, Religion that God and Father accepts as pure and undefiled is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress. And number three, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, what does God want us to do? Guard our tongue. Look after those who cannot protect themselves. And to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. This, this is who we are. And, and Paul says, right belief leads to right practice. And, and that's why... When he begins in Romans, he begins a section about the application of the doctrine he's laid out. And he says, he says this, don't, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, so, so that by testing, you may discern the will of God, the, the renewal of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You follow the apostolic instruction. It's very clear. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live. And you're doing it. Number two, this, this instruction is linked under the authority of Jesus. Now, it is popular in some circles to hear people say things like this. Some Christian circles. I really affirm and believe what, what Jesus says but I really don't think Paul was on target. In fact, you hear things like, well, I think Paul was a misogynist or Paul was a homophobic, something like that. But I really affirm what Jesus said. I believe if you had said that in the early church, the apostles would have looked at you with incredible 
questioning, what are you talking about? Because, because Paul says here that, that his authority is linked to the authority of Jesus. The Bible says that all the Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In, in, in the book of, of Second Peter, let me read just a couple of verses. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Listen. It's very important. Incredibly important. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, the apostolic teaching. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, it says that, that the men who wrote what we call the Scripture were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired of God. Paul says here that his authority is linked under and linked with the authority of Jesus as an apostle. Peter says later in his book, in chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him about this matter. And this, he says, he writes... The same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. The, the other scriptures, the other inspired writings. So if we're to be pleasing to God, we have to understand that, that the authority of, of Paul, the authority of the apostles is linked with the authority of Jesus. Very important. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. Number three, if we're to be pleasing to God, we must never stop pushing and going forward. Paul says, I ask you and I urge you, I, I plead with you, in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more and more. See, we, we, we never stop pushing and going forward. We never stop crying out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we, we never stop going forward. We say, I want to do this more and more. I want to love the brothers. He says later, more and more. I want to be pleasing to God more and more. We never stop praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. We'll never be perfect in this life we're pushing 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 we don't stop if we're to be pleasing to god we go forward we don't just exist we don't coast we go forward now one reason not the, not even the primaries but one reason is that is that when we cry out your kingdom come and your will be done and and we push hard after the lord in his triune glory there is incredible joy and purpose and, and, and life enhancement that comes in following Jesus. I just believe that there's a little statement in the bulletin. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. That, that, that I want to know the fullness of God. I, I am greedy, greedy to know the joy and the purpose that God has for me in Jesus by the power of the Spirit. I want that. 
I want to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I, 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 want, I want to, to, to put, I really do. Pray that I'll do that. I pray you do that. But I think some of these verses I just had put in the bulletin, for example, Proverbs 3.8 says, as you trust in the Lord and you don't lean on your understanding as, you, as, you, as you're not wise in your own eyes and as you fear the Lord and as, the, as you shun evil, here's the promise. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. The English Standard Version says, this will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I want healing, I want refreshment. Matthew 20, I was right this morning, two blind beggars heard Jesus is coming. They sit and cry out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. The people down said, be quiet, he can't bother with you, you're blind, you're outcast. And they cried all the more, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and says, what do you want? He says, we, we want to see. And Jesus healed him. And I, I just wrote down and said, you know, may I understand there is healing in the presence of Jesus. That's it. Th- these blind men had no idea who Jesus was other than the fact that he was a gifted rabbi who the rumor had it could heal people. We know him to be God in the flesh, the eternal one who spoke the worlds into being. And so I've got to realize there is healing, there is nourishment in the presence of Jesus. That's it. So so we should say, Lord, may I do this more and more and more. For example, John 10, Jesus says, I'm the gate. My sheep enter and go out by me and they find pasture. And you won't find pasture. Then you'd run to Christ. You'd run to him. Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please him. For everyone who draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. <laughs> that, that's who I want to be. So, so church, just, we don't, we don't stop, we go forward. We say, I want to do this more and more and more. And so with that, and from the text, let me make a few statements here, a few applications, two, two, two big application statements. Number one is this. Based on the scripture, based on the fact that, that Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica that's surrounded by a multitude of gods and goddesses. And based upon the fact that he says time after time, we're saved by the work of Jesus. He says in chapter 1, we're saved from the coming wrath by the work of Jesus. And he says, I gave you these instructions, and I ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I, I ask you and give you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul didn't say we're just one among many. He says he is God Almighty. He's the, he is the Lord He's the only one who saves. His is the only name. So, so, so based upon that, just as an application for our day, be very wary of non-Trinitarian spirituality. That's just it. Let me explain that. We are awash in, in homemade spirituality that cannot be defined in most cases 
and is non-Trinitarian, and it is an abomination in the sight of God. I think that's pretty clear. Um, how many times have you talked to a friend and they said, well, I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I've heard that. I said, well, I'm not, I don't know what that means. I just smile and go, okay. You know. So I'm, I'm going to give you some examples, and I, I don't want you to, uh, to, to laugh. I don't want you to scream out in horror, but I want you to think. You see, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of, in the will of God. This is an Eskimo proverb. It's old, but it says this. Perhaps they are not stars, but rather openings in heaven where the love of our lost ones pours through and shines down upon us to let us know they are happy. He said, well, I hear that type of stuff all the time. You go to any drugstore and just read the cards. It's, it's, the, it's, it's undefinable. It's not understandable. Uh, three times in 30 years or so I've been doing funerals. I've had people come up to me and they've said, we want you to read this poem. And all three times I said, I, I just can't do it. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. And thankfully, the poem's author is unknown. That's a good thing. Because this is a bad poem, you know. But you've heard it. Listen, you've heard it. And some of you, I'm going to get some letters this week. I can't believe you're critical of that poem or critical of Oprah. I'm going to be there in a few minutes. Or, you know, you're not nice. Okay. Listen, this is the poem that I want me to read at least three times. Listen. Do not stand at my grave and forever weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. So far, so good. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn's rain. When you wake in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush of quiet birds in circle flight, I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and forever cry, I am not there, I did not die. That's horrible. That's pantheism. That's just, it's just silly. It's just, you know, I, I thought, listen, when I die, if you're going to read a poem, read the one by the Anglican named John Donne. And he was writing as a Christian. And, and, and you've probably read this poem, but you didn't realize he was writing as a Jesus follower, which is taken totally out of context in a book you read in the eighth grade called Death Be Not Proud, named after the poem. Death be not proud, though many have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou overthrow, die not, poor death, nor canst thou kill me. For one short sleep, and I wake in eternity. And death, thou shalt die. He's flipping death off. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. I'm serious. He says, because Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You can't kill me. You can't kill me. I'm not the glints of snow or the rushes of robins or the 
oil spluttering from your Johnson and Johnson engine. I, I, I'm, I'm in the glory. Just be careful. Just a couple. Just one. Right? Just, just listen. This is this is from a woman named Sharon Salzberg who's written some books. Some, a couple of them have been fairly well, well sold. She she is in charge of a. Uh, I think I've got the quote up here. Part of it. She's in charge of a, a a New Age Buddhist retreat center in Massachusetts. It's very popular, and she says this: We we need faith. Because despite our desire for the center of our lives to hold firm, we see that it never does to be open to life. We need to first acknowledge what we cannot control. Okay? Then she says this. Well, I'll pick it up later. But we, we can then begin to value and trust in our own strength. That's not it. That's, that's a good quote. Can't go there. Okay. We, we, need, we can then begin to value and trust in our own strength. Yeah. Uh, our own inner strength and wisdom, which can remain unbroken no matter our circumstances. We can develop faith in a bigger picture of life, one that recognizes that whatever we face, we are held in a web of interconnection. I have no idea what that means. Now, I'm, I'm quite serious. But when you, when you start talking to people who have a Buddhistic mindset, then everything's the great beyond, the great void. And, and really, you can talk all day long. Their, their definitions are just, they're just, just different. Listen, we have a definitive statement about who God is and his purpose. He's triune, he's glorious, he's good. He became in the fullness of time, born of a virgin, suffering with Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. His name is Jesus. So, so and then now this one, right? this is going to be funny. This is Oprah Winfrey. He's a wonderful person. But this comes from a book entitled Oprah, the Gospel of an Icon, written by a Harvard professor named Lofton. And this is the purpose statement of her, her TV network, and we'll pick it up in a second. I, I, our mission is to use TV to transform people's lives. I'm talking about each individual coming to the awareness that I am creation's son, I am creation's daughter, ultimately I am spirit, come from the greatest spirit, I, I am spirit. Again, it's, and then this, a couple of examples. This is by a guy named Neil Walsh, who's wildly popular. And, and, and he says this, he says, um, he says, no, no kind of evolution ever took place through self-denial. If you are to evolve, it will not be because You've been able to deny yourself the things that you know feel good, but because you've granted yourself these pleasures and found something even greater. And then he says this. For how can you know that something is greater if you've, ever, if you've never tasted the lesser? What he's saying is this, is that, is that for you to know what really the good stuff is, you've got to, by experience, get rid of the stuff that's not that good. That sounds like a slogan on some type of bizarre sexuality website. I mean, for those of us who have children, maybe getting married, maybe a daughter, for example. If if your potential son-in-law said this to you, what would you say to him? I would chase him out of the house with a knife and a shotgun. And say, don't you ever come back here. 
how can I affirm what is the greatest unless I've continually tasted that which is not the greatest? So by process of elimination. It's just, that's the world we live in, folks. Be be very careful. And then this. This this is a book called You Pray Love by a woman named Elizabeth Warren. It's been, listen, it's been 187 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. 187 weeks. And so I've I've read some reviews about it. I I knew I was going to preach on this, so I read the book. Now, I'm probably the only man in the South who knows the nicknames of the Southeast Conference football teams who has read Eat, Pray, Love. (laughs) I know I lost a lot of man points, but I wanted to make sure I read it. And, you know, I, I was prepared to just be totally... I thought she was a good writer. She was entertaining. She was funny. Uh, but 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 the whole the whole premise of the book is the spiritual is very important. But you cannot define the spiritual. The book starts with awfully. She's thirty one, I think thirty two. She's married to a wonderful man. She says, but she wakes. She's been waking up night after night, going to the bathroom and crying for an hour at three o'clock in the morning. And this would be her mantra: I don't want to be married. I don't want to be married. I don't want to be married. I don't want to live in this house. I don't want to have a baby. They're trying to have a baby. They had a house in the Hudson Valley and in Manhattan. They were making lots of money, but she was miserable. And one night when she, said, when she was doing that, she said that God spoke to her. And God said, Liz, go back to bed. And she went back to bed and started on this pilgrimage. And she left her husband. And she moved in with another guy who turned out to be better looking but much less sensitive. And she he broke up with her, and she went through a trauma over that, and she was suicidal. And, uh, and then she went on this, this pilgrimage, eat, pray, love. And she's with a friend, and her friend says, you need to forgive yourself. And, 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 her, and she says, okay. She says, who, who, who would you like to, be, to, to know that they care for you and forgive you? And she says, well, Bill and Hillary Clinton. She said, the president and Mrs. Clinton forgive you. Mother Teresa, her friend said, Mother Teresa forgives you. Nelson Mandela, Nelson Mandela forgives you. Well, she's on a roll now. Mahatma Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi forgives you. I'm going, where, where, do you, where do you go with this? How do you respond to this stuff? And, and so she eats, prays, loves. She eats, she goes to Italy to learn to eat, which is a wonderful place to learn to eat. A whole lot better than Great Britain. Uh, so she goes to Italy, she prays in India, and she learns to love in Bali, Indonesia. And it's, it's an interesting book. She's written a follow-up book and yada, yada. But I, I, I look at this and I just go, and I'll just say, we are awash in this. Boy, young people, listen to me. Be very careful about spiritual language that is non-Trinitarian. And let me say this. I want nothing to do with spirituality that doesn't define God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I will never be part of an organization that just defines God as the great void who is there, maybe. What a joke. We have the good stuff. We have Jesus. The Bible says unequivocally that He is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. And when He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is God. So, 
second issue to be wary about, to, just to say beware. <clears throat> beware of Christian speech separated from biblical authority. Beware of Christian speech separated from biblical authority. Now, I'm, I'm going to address something, and I, I have always said that when Scripture and culture collide, we are responsible to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. In fact, our confessional statement says that, that it is our responsibility to bring everything under the, the lordship of Christ as far as is possible. So, but, but, but even many, many more times magnified, when a well-known and respected person in our culture makes a statement that is at odds with the entirety of church history and the and 99.8% of all biblical interpretation. And he frames that in biblical language. I think as a pastor, I have to respond. So I'm going to respond to what President Obama said a couple of weeks ago and try to help you see how he got there. I'm going to speak very graciously. I respect the president. I think he's a man who loves his wife and daughters. He's been a wonderful role model in that area. But, but, but I, I think he's, he's wrong about how he framed the argument regarding homosexual marriage. And just let me make some comments there. And, and again, I, I want to show respect to the president. So for, first of all, here's a couple of quotes. The first quote comes from uh, 2008 when he was campaigning. And he says this, he says, if people find my belief in civil unions between same-sex partners controversial, then I would just refer them to the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is, in my mind and for my faith, more central than an obscure passage in Romans. That's my view, but we can have a respectful disagreement on that close quote. So, so, so the, the, the then Senator Obama was was pitting the Sermon on the Mount against a very clear statement in Romans. The obscure passage in Romans he refers to. I've only got about four minutes. I'm going to go fast, so please listen. The obscure passage to whom he, which he was referring is very clear. In fact, the obscure passage is is the foundation for why we need Romans. 3, verse 18 and following, but now a righteousness from God has been revealed to which the law and the prophets testify. A righteousness that comes from faith. So, so he, lays, he says, this is why we need our Redeemer Savior, because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and he says, he says, very quickly, he says, he says, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress it, he says. He says, men suppress the truth. They know this is right, but they run from it. We've all done that. Since, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. We intuitively know certain things are right and wrong. And then he says that although they, verse 1, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, progressively so. 
And he says, and as that happened, as they continued to suppress the knowledge of God, it says God gave them over to in, in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to sinful lust. Even their women, even the women, exchanged natural relations, i.e. with men, for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with one another and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. The words perversion. Now, now, let me tell you, that, that is a central part of Romans, and it's not obscure. So that, that's point number one. You, you don't pit the Sermon on the Mount against Romans 1. It, it, it's Scripture. So Paul says, I write under the authority of Jesus. Okay. The, the, the second statement is this. And he said, the president said this in his recent statement. He said, the the thing at root that we think about is not only Christ sacrificing himself on our behalf. Very good, Mr. Thank you, Mr. President. But also the golden rule, you know. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And then he goes on. How do we know how to treat people? Scripture. Who defines love? God. Who defines justice? God. Who defines fairness? God. Real real quickly. Third statement is this. He said two years ago on ABC News, he made this comment. He says, you know, he says, my feelings about this homosexual issue are, are constantly evolving. Constantly evolving. Now, very quickly, I'm sorry. My, 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 my uh, theology is constantly evolving. That's on the left. Post-modernity. This is how the president can get there. And God, God bless him. Post-modernity says that ethics, theology, even the character of God, is constantly evolving. That the way God was 2,000 years ago may not be the way God is now. God, like you and I, is constantly morphing and changing and evolving. We think that is heresy of the highest order. God is eternal, unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is unchanging. He is king he is Lord. So, so that's how people can say, well, you know, I, I'm evolving in this. I'm evolving in that. Because the, the truth that's true today may not be true tomorrow. And that's kind of scary to me, quite honestly. To me, people say, well, I'm, well you, know, I, you know, I think theft is wrong. But, you know, who, who knows? No pun intended, but the jury's still out on that one, you know. Conversely, there's a guy named Jehoiakus von Lodenstein. What a great name. You know, sounds like an offensive lineman, Jehoiakus von Lodenstein. In 1647, he came up with a little statement that I think is one of the banner statements 
in the aftermath of the Reformation. It says the church is Reformed, capital R, which means they stand by the, the truths of the Reformation and always reforming according to the Word of God. Now, if you, you, you go on websites and go places, and some, even some convocations for churches, and they'll have a banner there that says, the church is reformed and always reforming, dot, dot, dot. But they leave off the conditional statement. <laughs> the church is reformed and always reforming, according to the word of God. And we're like the children who sang a few minutes ago, open my eyes, almighty God, to see. May, may, the, may you open the eyes of my heart to see glorious things in your word, O Lord. The church is reformed and always reforming. I talked to a pastor this week, and he said to me, he's going through a hard time, and his church said, have, have, have you and the, the church been through an identity crisis in the last 10 years? I said, No. I mean, and I wasn't trying to be catty or not empathetic, but we're people of the book. Now, now we've had personality issues and we've had sin issues and stupidity issues, but not identity issues. This is who we are. I'm preaching on that next week. This is who we are. The church reformed and always reforming according to the word of God. Glory in the presence of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More and more and more. And walk in the dignity and the freedom and the joy and the brokenness that comes in that. May God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day and for the privilege of being your people. Thank you that we don't wake up today and try to discern what is up and down and east and west. We pick up the book. And thank you that in the fullness of time, you came forth fully displaying the plan that was foreordained in the happy land of the Trinity before time began when you became a man. And you lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. And God, forgive us as your blood-bought people of ever being guilty of non-Trinitarian double-speak Orwellian spirituality. Let us be people of the book. And I pray you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.